Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Haven of Horror, uh, the much-delayed and highly anticipated, at least for me, episode <laughs> yeah. on Friday the 13th, the 1980 original, which in many ways helped kickstart an entire genre, uh, this mm. and Halloween. And my buddy Doolittle here has never seen this uh, this movie, so while this is also go is going to be a review like our typical reviews, this is also going to be me asking him some questions that I think would be interesting to have on on recording um before yeah. we do that as always if you're interested in our content please hit that subscribe button and we do have a patreon now feel free to check that out so we can put more money into our production what little little there is but uh <laughs> so do little yes. this is your first time watching it how much did you know about this movie going into um i knew that jason's mom was the killer um and i knew that kevin bacon was in the movie trying to think about others oh i know about the lou reed story um where they were filming and uh lou reed had like a farm um and they they like were like oh my god hey it's lou reed and they're like talking about stuff with him and i think he played a song for them and then you know i think that that's like the extent of it is i know that fun little story and i know those two little kind of factoids about the film i also know about the ending uh with uh the the jason kid popping out of the water uh but i forgot that it was a dream which is unfortunate but that is still a really cool scene nonetheless even if it's a dream so since you brought that up let's start there because okay. there's obviously a very big continuity issue with this franchise if you give a shit about continuity with this franchise which i okay. personally don't but so jason is dead in this movie but then she sees jason and then he's alive in the next movie, and an adult, even though it's only been, like, five years. Do you think it was actually a dream, or the cops were just stupid? I mean, I think in this movie it was a dream. Um, okay. But I also think that, because the way that they leave it off is that she's like, oh, he's still out there, or something like that. Um, so, it's possible that, like, it, like was not a dream but like maybe almost like a kind of a way for her mentally to like kind of channel that situation i don't know um it was a very uh weird ending but um it is what it is though and i think that the way it ends is still fine you know um but that scene, though, oh my God, I, I'm probably one of the best jump scares in like any slasher movie. Like, I cannot believe <laughs> that that happened. You know, that is my personal pick for best jump scare in like a horror film. It's really um, good, and I agree with you. I think, I guess, my question would be more than so. Do you think it's a dream in this movie, and then they recontextualize it as an excuse to bring Jason back and make sequels? Oh, um. Yeah, I think so. Uh, okay, that that makes more sense. Yeah, I I I think that without having seen the sequels, um, I think that that's entirely possible. Um, that they could go back to this and be like, well, actually, it's a retcon. This actually did happen, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that'd be fun. You know, I'm not sure if that's actually what happened. Um, but uh, that that would make sense. You know, it, to it, it doesn't make sense either way. I was just a curious. It was just a question. Uh, well, it would they, make sense for like this series, though. Is what yeah. I'm saying. Yeah, I, I think traditionally, 
there's no way that makes sense but for what this <laughs> series is trying to accomplish it's like whatever you know yeah so i rich evans from the a channel that i think mostly i watch you haven't seen a lot of them but red letter media uh he used these words to describe another movie but i'm gonna steal them for this this is an okay. excellent short film that is bogged down by about 60 minutes of filler Mm. I think the last mm. 20 minutes of this movie are incredible and if it was just that 20 minutes this would be a perfect film now I love all the kills but most of this movie and I wonder if you agree with me it's just kind of like a boring hangout movie it is I almost wonder if uh, Tarantino was looking at this for like Death Group or something like that because that movie is also very much like a hangout movie and there's like horror elements eventually you know what i mean um i actually think that that could be like a really fun movie you know like a hangout movie that happens to have like these kinds of like inherently flawed situation in the background i just thought i just i just couldn't really grab onto these characters <laughs> you know what i mean i think that's the biggest issue with that approach um and obviously these movies aren't concerned about that um, which is fine, but given that the there was a whole lot of space without a whole lot going on, that does present itself as kind of a kind of an issue that I I I think that the other sequels resolve, which is good, and address. Um, but you even love also... that scene of them making like popcorn, or <laughs> hot chocolate. Yeah, I, I don't know why that's there, <laughs> but whatever. Um, but hey, you know, for what it's worth, Kevin Bacon's fun. I, I, but I always like Kevin Bacon because he's the man. He's awesome, uh, and he's pretty fun in this movie. And he has the best kill as well. Like, like I was when just he gets about the to thing. say he has yeah. the best kill. Yeah, it's awesome. It's so, uh, such a marvel of special effects for what they had and the resources they had too. You know, it's crazy. Well, and that kill is fun because, so I've got the Screen Factory box set of this, and I've seen uh -huh. that there's a documentary that's like four and a half hours. It's well worth it if you're curious. But he talks about this movie, and for that kill, they were supposed to have this like tube that would blow blood up through the prosthetic they made, but it oh broke. Oh my god. Uh, but it, like the tubing broke or something. So the reason that that blood splurts the way it does is there's a dude under the bed like blowing into the tube to get the blood to come out. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> the making that's... of this movie is insane. Um, wow. But to to go to the genesis of this movie since we're talking about the making of it. This movie yeah. exists, as much as I love it, this movie exists solely to capitalize on the success of Halloween. Sean uh, yeah. Cunningham has said said as much. Victor, I forget the writer's name, Victor something, has said that he even went to see Halloween like three times in theaters and would take notes of like what they would do. And like, how can we fit it to the script that we're doing? And there's certain scenes that you can see they just took from Halloween, uh, especially the final with the final chase. Because, you know, when the girl's finding the bodies and the one that swings down from the doorway that's shot for shot from Halloween. Yeah. Um. And, you know, and, other, and certain other scenes. But I think what makes this movie stand out and what this movie really relied on was those special effects because they were really lucky to get Tom Savini. And I don't think this movie would have worked. Victor Miller is his name. This is the writer. Uh, I don't think this movie would have even 
been remembered, let alone launched a franchise that is arguably, I think, the biggest slasher franchise in history. I could be wrong on that, especially because we've had new entries in franchises like Halloween and Child's Play. Yeah. Um, so I'm not sure where it stands now. But Tom Savini really helped launch this franchise. Do you think this movie would have been the same success without those effects? Oh, I totally agree with you. Um, <laughs> like, you know, no, no challenging you there. Um, you know, I, I think that Savini's presence is really felt. And I think that those effects do kind of elevate the, um, the kind of, you know, the heightened nature of, of what the series would like eventually kind of become, you know? Uh, and I also, I, I also will say that, um, Betsy Palmer as um mrs Voorhees um is also amazing and i think that is also pretty fondly remembered um, oh, i want to say i i think that her and and savini are kind of like the best parts in the movie in my opinion because the part at the end where she's like talking as jason is like really really unsettling and it's really uh really disturbing I agree with you. However, I do want to give credit to one more person, and that person is Harry Manfredini, because okay. this music, this movie uses music almost as well as Halloween. Oh yeah, no, 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 no. You're totally right. Um, I think that the sound cues of the movie are really cool, and immediately iconic. Like I, I think that that I'm assuming that that's also just a constant throughout the series is. Yeah. Just that, like, that, like, echo or whatever it's called. So, you know, what that is, because a lot of people, and, and I'm just going to say this for mostly for the audience benefit as well as I don't, it sounds like you don't really know. Um, that sound is, it's either Betsy Palmer or it's Henry, Harry Manfredini, who is the composer on this film and most of these films, is the killer mommy killer from the end of the movie but like altered and messed with in production. So it's key, 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 ma, ma, ma. That's what you're hearing oh, through the film. That makes it even more eerie. Yeah. I would say that the only theme in Slasher specifically that's more iconic than that would be the Halloween theme. Yeah, I agree. Um, and yeah, Henry Manfredini has credits on, I think, every sequel. Because that that is oh. kind of the just the Jason sound. Yeah, it's it's the sound cue that kind of initiates the the presence of the killer. You know, no, that that's that's so cool. I didn't know that that's what that was. And thank you for that. Uh, it sounds great. Not a problem. Uh, and then on top of that, on top of that sound as well, I really like the. They've got this kind of screeching violin sound that they play when the killer's on screen or quote mm -hmm. on screen that I think is also very effective. And it's interesting to think because I don't I think by today's standards, this is peak like this movie isn't really scary. It's just kind of boring. But I can see in 1980 because this is very much a grindhouse film. Uh, our mutual yeah. friend who's been on the channel before once told me that Friday the 13th is like a grindhouse movie brought to the mainstream because big studios like the like Paramount, who per, uh, distributed this movie, didn't really distribute movies like this. 
But with Halloween, of course, you know, they're looking for their own answer. So you get this, you know, kind of sleazy uh, $555,000 budget movie. And you're introducing kind of a new culture to moviegoers in, the, in 1980. Yeah. No, Two I, years I definitely Halloween. see that. Yeah, and it it has like different values from Halloween for sure. Um, and you can tell that they're kind of looking at Halloween, but it does kind of immediately make itself distinct from Halloween. I think just like kind of tonally, um, and and all that stuff. I do. I I have a question. Um, because something that I thought was kind of interesting was there's like a pre-title sequence, um, kill, almost like a James Bond movie. Um, does that continue throughout um the series that there's like a pre-title sequence, um, where like you you see Jason or like a, you know like killing someone in the beginning, and Most then it goes the title. Most of them do. I'm not too sure about the later movies, but I know that's a thing for most of. In fact, okay. it's interesting that you described that as like a James Bondian thing, because I guess we're just going to talk about certain parts of the whole franchise, including some movies that I'm not going to get. We're not going to get around to doing yet. Uh, yeah. Friday the Thirteenth Part Six straight up has the James Bond bullet bullet shot. <laughs> oh, oh, and what is it so that um, Jason's going to like cut you with the machete, and then so he turns uh, to look at the camera. Like James Bond does, mm -hmm. and then cuts at the camera, like instead of shooting, and then blood fills the screen. That doesn't amazing. even make sense, but that's awesome. Well, and six is, is six is much more comedic. No, so not only that, but they do the like the black circle, like enclosing on him. It is <laughs> shot for shot the James Bond <laughs> gun barrel. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. And it's amazing. Because that, that's the movie where this the franchise stops taking itself seriously. He's a zombie now. We're injecting a little bit of humor. It's great. Uh, yeah, I can't wait to show you that one at some point. But anyway, back to the original. I also really like the, pre the opening, especially because it takes place in the 50s, which is kind of unusual oh, cool. for these slasher movies that usually take place in what was present day when this movie comes out, or when the movie came out. Mm -hmm. My only issue with the kit with this movie on story level, yeah, it's a little boring, but at the end of the day, this is a whodunit with no possible way to guess whodunit. Yeah. Because the killer's no. not in it until the last 20 minutes of the movie. Yeah, there's like no way to know what's exactly going on. <laughs> it's, it's very strange in that way. Yeah. But what is I fun... do like. Oh, go ahead. Oh, what are you going to say? No, nah, go ahead. I want to hear your thought. Oh, okay, okay. I was just going to say, talking about. um, um, Is it Pamela? Um, Pamela Morris. Yeah, okay. Um, Something kind of cool about her kind of character and the way that she's constructed is she kind of is like the kind of perversion of like the archetypical kind of like mother figure um, where she's very nurturing. Uh, but it's just taken so far to like the furthest kind of extreme. And 
it's like a very scary kind of like uh figure and and concept um the way that she kind of performs it and the way she's written and i think that that's kind of interesting on on that level and kind of going forward and having that expand to jason being the the killer is interesting because now you have the vulnerable son as the killer moving forward and he just becomes like a whole kind of metaphorical expression for victimhood and being victimized and acting in vengeance from that place um and how monstrous um that like like he, he is a living metaphor which i think is interesting and she isn't she has much more characterization which is interesting um but i i i just couldn't help but think that while watching the movie when i got to that part oh i definitely agree and it's also like this it's the psycho thing but backwards yeah um which is interesting and it's funny because pamela Voorhees is you know lives and dies on betsy palmer's performance but she didn't even want to do this movie she just needed money for like for either a car or gas or something and oh my god really <laughs> she, so she talks about rest in peace betsy palmer uh you were a wonderful actress from what i've seen you in mostly this uh but she talks mm-hmm. about like she thought this movie was like nonsense and dirty but she needed the money <laughs> wow but it's also one of those things where after it became popular you know she kind of embraced it which was fun um but yeah, a lot of the actors that played the killers in these movies, even the Jasons, you didn't see a lot of them really embrace the horror community that they were building until Kane Hodder, mm-hmm. which is why he became so popular. Yeah, makes sense. So this is, and then we've got the final girl, Alice, uh, played by Adrian King. How did you feel about the final girl in this movie? Yeah, I thought she was all right. <laughs> I didn't really have any like strong opinions either way. Um, he has she no backstory. <laughs> well, there's that too. It's like I I assume that in the other movies she'll there'll be more to latch on to with the final girls. You've kind of explained that before. Um, but with this one, I was just kind of like, yeah, like she gets the job done for that archetype. Or that trope, rather, you know? Yeah. Uh, I adore the final girl in two, so I'm curious to see how you think about think about that one. Um, okay. So, yeah, a lot of this movie is just, you know, kids goofing off at camp. We're kind of setting up yeah. what would become kind of the stereotypes of the franchise. Um, the one kid is a crazy person who dresses up like an Indian and almost shoots somebody with an arrow, which makes me laugh yeah. every time because it's fucking nuts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Like, <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Doing? Uh this also begins the long running tradition of every time these people come to camp, there's no kids. Did you notice the lack of kids? I did notice. I was I wasn't sure why. <laughs> I wasn't sure why there were no kids. Um is that just that's that that is a common thing, isn't it? Man, um no aren't... kids show up to the camp in these movies until part six. And isn't that kid, like, disturbed or something like that? It's um, a bunch of kids. Like, that's the only time camp is actually in session in any of these movies. Oh, but these are these are just, like, the camp counselors just goofing off. 
basically. So the idea is supposed to be in this one, This they're getting ready to open the camp. It has been shut yeah. down since the killings that we saw at the beginning of the film. But they're um, preparing for yeah, it. Yeah, so again. camp hasn't actually opened yet. And that's when the, the people start uh, killing, you know, being killed off. Another cool thing I wanted to mention as well that I know about the kills. Well, two things. First is the big axe kill. Do you remember when the woman gets the uh, axe in the face? Yeah. So it is insane how they did that. Because the trick is to make it look real by having the axe hit the lamp. So what they do is until the axe hits the lamp, it's a real axe. And then when they bring it back down, it's a fake axe. Jesus. Tom Savini was nuts. (laughs) That's, that is like, like impossible. I don't know how they, (laughs) I don't know how they did that. That's crazy. So it's interesting cool, because though. this movie got away with a lot of stuff the big studio movies wouldn't do because it's not a big studio movie. Yeah. Uh, so the yeah. other big thing that I know about this movie that you couldn't get away with in any other movie, did you know when they kill that snake? Oh my god, that's real? That is real. Oh, that's... Oh, jeez. Yeah. That's rough. You can't, you can't do that. You can't do that. <laughs> Yeah, you. Re- I can't believe that happened. Ugh, that's rough. I, I, I'm against it because you know you're just killing a poor snake, but on yeah, a yeah. a level of just like removing the morality from it, I am impressed mm-hmm. that they went through with it and were allowed to put that in the movie. I yeah, I just I can't believe they did that. Um, like, I mean, because I mean that. Like morally, I I disagree with that, but also like, oh my god, I cannot believe you did that! Like Jesus Christ, <laughs> they just they really just killed the snake. Yep, that's so, wild. Different time. Different time. Uh, the other big thing with this movie that I I love, and I'm curious to your thoughts on, is Crazy Ralph. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Because I I love Crazy Ralph. I think he's hilarious. Crazy Ralph is he's a the fascinating cra- person. Yeah. I want to know how he got into that pantry. <laughs> he, um, does he come back in like the other movies? This guy? He comes back in the next one. Okay. Okay. Because, so, so I guess, uh, part two is like trying to maintain continuity more with this than if, if he comes back. So there is a continuity that can be tracked through the first six, even if they don't always line up. Okay, I see what you're saying. More or less. Um, well, and because like the first, so two, three, and four are take place all like the day after each other, or somewhere mm-hmm. around there. Um, five is where we get to the big like we're skipping ahead. But we're still keeping up with what happened in four, even if it doesn't line up. Because as much as I love these movies, they didn't get the most brilliant writers. Right, right. That makes sense. <laughs> I do think it's interesting that he's ignored uh, because of his alcoholism. I think that's interesting. You're all doomed. <laughs> and and yeah. is it. Is it this one? He has like the teeth that he like shakes at them. 
Yeah, I think so. I think I remember that. Um, yeah. No, he's nuts. But he, he is. He, he's a great character. <laughs> I like to imagine. He has a great that's... design, too. Yeah, I like to imagine yeah. that's not even an actor. That's just somebody they found living in the woods where they were filming. And they're they're like, like, oh my god, this is say... perfect. Like, can you say this line like over and over and hide in this pantry? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's a wonderful uh, situation just to discover. So the last thing I wanted, I want to say, and I want to see if you noticed, is the decapitation scene, the iconic decapitation scene. Did you yeah. notice that Pamela Voorhees' hands change after she's decapitated? Oh. No, I did not notice that. I'm going to have to go back and look at that. But what does it change to? They're Tom Savini's hands. Oh, my God. So they change from Betsy Palmer's, like, small hands to Tom Savini's big, hairy hands. Oh, and now that, I've, now that somebody's pointed it out to me, I see it every time I watch the movie. Oh, that's hilarious. That's awesome. That's another effect just... that he, he talks about in one. It's I think it's in the big four-hour doc. But they made like just a prosthetic of her head and then like attached it with toothpicks so that when the actress would swing with the machete, she's basically just knocking toothpicks down. Oh, my God. <laughs> that's that's insane. That's pretty crazy, though. But yeah, if you go back and just pause it, you'll see. And he like he didn't even take his ring off or anything. It's just Tom Savini hands. It's really funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they had to do what they had to do. That's crazy, though. Well, Doolittle, we are running low on time, so I want to yeah. ask you, is there anything else that you wanted to bring to attention with this film? <clears throat> um, no, not really. It's a pretty, like, simple movie. Um, I feel like we'll probably... It's it's good that we, we kind of got a lot of the foundational stuff, um... And, and talked about that stuff with this movie um because i think that it's a very important movie uh in in the sense that like this kind of does like serve as an important kind of film in defining the slasher genre um you know i think like halloween this uh texas chainsaw massacre um all kind of very important movies in that regard um yeah that, that's all i really have to say uh it was it was definitely like a fun time to watch it in between breaks from midterm stuff um because you know midterms are a stressful time in a college student's life so it's fun to escape into other kind of sources of entertainment and this is a fun movie just watch with friends i i feel like at some point uh i'll watch uh this movie and maybe the other ones with friends um mm -hmm. for sure absolutely uh so yeah i agree with you this is i think in the trio of the slasher godfathers texas chainsaw halloween and this um i have a hard time calling this a great movie it's not even my favorite in the franchise but i also don't think it's just an average movie i think it is slightly above that especially given the last 20 minutes i would say our pure perfection even if if I had one complaint, it's the same thing that Halloween falls trapped to, is they they take the chase too far, 
because she like drops her weapon like six times and just stop just like yeah. jamie lee curtis does in halloween <laughs> yeah um, but yeah, it's just yeah, kind yeah. of like a give me um so overall i'm gonna give this a three it is above average but it is also got the first like hour is just a slog to get through depending on your mood yeah no that makes sense um i think i'll give it a three as well because um i think that this is a like a pretty important movie to see and there is some fun to be had but it does kind of drag in places um yeah that's all i have to say um i do agree i i do think it is slightly above average um given the ending like it's it's pretty well constructed towards the end yeah well, Doolittle, uh, this was a lot of fun. I'm excited to show you the first four and then the remake uh, of this. Yeah. And it'll be Sorry it took so to... long. Oh, no worries. Like, like I said, school school comes first. Uh, we record <laughs> yeah. when we can. But uh, we will see you guys on the next episode covering Friday the 13th Part 2. A movie I have not yeah. went back to in a while, so that will be an interesting watch. And Doolittle, I will see you next time. Yeah, take care. Have a great time.